Welcome to Seize the GM. I'm your host, Zended. I am your co-host, Jules. And I'm Garda Mojé. Have you ever had a great idea for a campaign? Do you have a group of friends who want to play an RPG, but you have no one to run it? Do you want to see what the world is like behind the GM screen instead of in front of it? Well, we're here to help you do just that. Each week, the three of us will be discussing various GMing topics, terminology, maps, atmosphere, world building, you name it. So sit back and relax. Let us help you. Improve your art of GMing. One show at a time. Better, better, better. And we are entering the banter segment. Welcome back after a quite long break to seize the GM. <laughs> For some, it's been longer than others. It's true. This is the longest break that we've taken in a very, very long time, and we kind of all needed it. Um, well, it was some a long decade. Don't was. remind me. Ugh. So if you stuck around and are back listening to this in your feed... Thank you for sticking with Seize the GM after we had our little bit of a ah, moment. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Some of us really, I'll be honest. I I don't think you'd want to listen to a podcast where most of it was like, ah, screaming in pain. Ah, screaming in pain. Ah. ah." Are you sure? I'm sure there's an audience for that. I think I've played that there, there's the game. AS, I think I've there, played that the game. ASMR stuff, but I think this would be opposite of ASMR kind of weirdness. So, touche, <laughs> touche. I will, I will give you that one. Yeah, um, but good news is no brace, and I'm walking without the crutches, and I only use a cane when necessary, like for long distances or something. So, that's cool. great. Yay. I've got the flexibility back. It's just my, it's, uh, that's the thing I focused on because I heard that was the hardest to get back. So I'm like, I can build up strength better if I've got full range of motion. So now I can literally bend my leg all the way back and kick my own ass. (laughs) (laughs) No, I proved it to the doctor. I'm like, check this out. Still hurts, but. Well, sure. But you can do it. And that's what matters. Yeah. Is, I just found out, though, the pain of doing stairs, which I despise, isn't <laughs> going to go away for a bit. So I'm going to deal with that. Well, yeah, that's that is going to take some time to get over. But yeah, so anyone do anything cool and fun or read anything cool and fun over the holidays? Uh, well, let's see. I I worked a lot. And. I read some pretty cool comics, which we'll talk about at a different point. And I actually have, I, I've taken the dive into 5e D&D. Cool. Yay. Yeah. Uh, my wife was playing and she said, you really need to check it out. It's good. And I'm like, eh, I don't wanna. It's good. <laughs> and uh, I'm actually picking up my uh, 
DMG and Monster Manual this week, but I picked up Mordekainen's Tome of Foes and uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Ooh, those are good books. Fun. Yeah. So yeah. I'll have That's most a- of those, and I've got the, the Eberron setting book because I love Eberron. Smith. So, and as a quick reminder, if you go back and look at the card catalog for One Archer Three Ways, you will see a write-up and description of some of the use of D and D Fifth Ed in our look at how to build an archer across three different systems. Yep. Yeah. And You've missed the shameless self promos. I know <laughs> they're good. <laughs> so what? What have you guys oh, yeah. been up to? Uh, uh, writing, having headaches, writing, uh, shooting people in a futuristic space game, and uh, headaches while writing. <laughs> okay, it's December. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much been December. Trying to follow up on the uh, the novel excursion stuff in November and backtracking and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting it. I've seen so many words, so many words, <laughs> but the good words. Some of them are good words. Some like of them are good words. Good Some words. of them are not. Ten percent of good words. <laughs> well, that's but cool. That's you're you're finally getting to the second. Is this your first pass edit? This is the first pass writing of it because it's it, it, it's one of those. I have found out that with my novels, I write the novel and then I turns out I hate the novel, and then I find like the thirty percent of the novel that's like good meat. And then <laughs> you, you write the other sixty percent. Yes, and okay. then we do that again, but it's a better percent next time. Awesome. Okay, that's brilliant. Process. So okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm. I'm probably gonna have to hit uh, Zen and Null up. Um, I had this weird inspiration at the beginning of December since uh, I, my company has a band, and I joined it, and I had this really yeah. weird Uh-oh. idea. And I had this really weird idea, which was taking random suggestions from other people and doing like 30 seconds to a minute of improv. And I tried doing it. And the thing is, I I can't figure out exactly how to record uh, musical instruments in a way where I get the the sound exactly how I want. And I, you know, because just sitting where I am and just playing, okay, the because of the mic position. Okay, that doesn't work. I'm like, all right, so maybe do I use the snowball? I tried that and I realized, okay, this hurts. It hurts way too much trying to bend down and adjust, bend down and adjust, wiggle something around. I'm like, and that kind of killed, I, I still want to do it, but I'm like, Ugh. you probably need two mics, one for the instrument, one for you. Yeah. Well, no, that wasn't it. I'm just trying to record the music itself. You know, I can I can talk into into my awesome mic and the awesome setup I have here and and with my awesome mixer. Thank you very much, Zen. I still love it. It's awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's I'm just you know I, I don't know if I'm having some weird acoustic stuff or I mean it's it's cool. I've got some I got some like wonderful ideas. You know, like I got like this. Uh, futuristic cowboy shootout thing and i have like awesome melody going on i got this and it but it's not okay i i think i have an idea but we can talk about it afterwards yeah and uh the other thing is uh guess who's got a 3d printer (gasps) oh 
Give me jealous. Let me feed upon it. Yes, you you can <laughs> feed upon my jealousy because I really want one bad. I have a 3D printer and I just set it up. I have three pounds of um, the uh, uh, PLH, I think that's the abbreviation, of yeah. the stuff. And I was an idiot trying to bring all, all that up at once, <laughs> up the stairs with a bum name. And I spent uh, Christmas Eve because uh, federal government was closed and my boss is amazing and gave everybody the day off. Um, I spent the whole day building it. I still have to plug it in and do like the, the setup and all that other stuff, but Calibrating. I got it together. Yeah. Nice. So, and then I have to figure out, okay, how do you design and 3d print something? Cause I've got new idea. Okay. So here's how you do it. You go mm-hmm. to thingamaverse and you download the files. <laughs> Look for free 3D printing designs. Just Google it. And they will give you the uh, the file format that you need. And you can just download it and, and send it to the printer. You may have to do some tweaking. But for the most part, that's the easiest way to do it. Don't design your own stuff. Because you will take a lot of time doing 3D rendering. And then you'll still have to figure out how to then send it to the printer to do what you want it to do. So it's not solid. Yeah. Yeah. I'll still, I'll probably figure it out. Hopefully it'll work. I have no idea. Yeah. I I've looked at it and everything I look at, I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to let somebody else do all the actual design part. That's hard. And I'll just do the little bit of actual printing. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Because I can make it look cool by print, by paint and effects. That's, that's why I got black, so. black um, plastic and white plastic. I didn't go with any of the other stuff. I'm gonna go with that, and then I can. And I bought, you know, this is why I have primer. Yep. Uh, actually, a friend of mine last year for Christmas printed me a dice tower that is the Castle of Grayskull like face as the shoot. Slick. Yeah. So. I mean, that's really neat. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, I haven't painted yet because I'm like, I want to do a really good job and I want to wait until I have a place where I'm going to use it. Because with the setup I've got right now, I don't really use a dice tower. So I'm kind of waiting until I get that. Slack. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Gardemanche, what have you been up to? Oh, the usual. Uh, working, sleeping, reading, catching up on, on bingeable TV, uh, adding more exercise back into my life, and, and all of that good stuff. And yeah, writing more, trying to write a lot. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'm writing. I, I hear that drives people slowly crazy. Uh, but, you know, it's just a rumor. Yeah, I'm already crazy enough, so I figure it can't hurt to go a step further. <laughs> Good call. Go highly recommend. I mean, if you're gonna go crazy, you know, go go full crazy, you know, conspiracy theory, all of that, right? Well, I mean, if we're gonna talk about what you can't see in the world itself and what's kind of hiding around the corners, it's a perfect time to kind of talk about cryptids. It is a perfect time to talk about cryptids because they are so cool. 
By the way, do you like that segue, listeners? Or would you like us to tell you? It's never good when you point it out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, there's no script here. No, no, the secret. I haven't gotten the secret orders yet. I, I don't have my decoder. Where's my decoder? I don't know where your decoder ring is. Are you a member of the Annie Oakley? Who told you about them? (laughs) Who told you about them? But one of the more engaging and kind of long-running parts of a lot of games are cryptids. Uh, They kind of underlie a lot of our mythology and a lot of existing fantasy games, and they can be used in a lot of fun ways. And so we want to kind of talk about what they are and how to use them and maybe give you a little bit of an inspiration here on Seize the GM. Yeah. Well, see, this is kind of one of the cool things. Like, cryptids... Everybody always assumes that they're kind of like this really new thing, but they're really not. They go way back. Like in America, they go back to like the colonies and they even go further back than that because even the native Americans had stories about things that were similar to what we would call cryptids now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when we look at the question of cryptids, it really is just, you know, some kind of unexplained creature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's. Yeah, it's and it's not the thing is like with with cryptids, it's if you want to think, um, yeah, some of them could be scary as hell, but some of them are also kind of like, like remember, like those You've seen the like the the really creepy or really weird uh, you know things of the fantastical that you see in kind of like the traveling shows kind of a thing like the jackalope. Yeah, that would also be considered a cryptid. Also, I yeah. would also if anyone's heard the song "Scaregoat" by MC Front a lot, there's a lot in there. Oh yeah, yeah, um, and but it's MC Front a lot, which is awesome. Just to toss an example of a cryptic that is not a necessarily spooky thing that is a thing that was discovered a couple of years ago, the Guild Antelope or Guild uh, Deer of Southeast Asia. Believed to be fictitious. Turned out it was real. They discovered it in 1992. Yeah. And actually made, like, no longer encrypted because there it is. Yep. There was, that was... I uh, didn't know about that. That's awesome. The mm-hmm. Opaki or Okapi? Okapi in uh, the... The jungles in Africa was the same way. Nobody had ever seen one until like 1973 or 74, I think. And, I mean, the natives that lived there had seen them, but they were super elusive and everything else. But, yeah, they did find them, finally. And now you can actually go see one in a zoo. Cool. (laughs) But then there's others. There's others like the bunyip. Or the Ogopogo in Canada. Like, there's some that just kind of defy that ability to be found. Like the skunk ape. The skunk ape of Florida. I love the idea of a skunk ape. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Every time I think skunk ape, I'm like, okay, is he he working with Florida man? Because we always hear... (laughs) Florida man, but we never have a name. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, 
you also have to go back to like some of the early ones. Like some of these are like, like the Bunyip is really old. I mean, that's, that's Aboriginal Australian belief, but, and you have like, here you have things like the squonk, the squonk. Well, that, um, Spring Hill Jack was one of the first cryptids in America that was from the colonies. Really? And the Jersey Devil. Yeah, the Sp- oh, yeah. Spring Heel mm-hmm. Jack and the Jersey Devil are both very, very similar. They were thought to be the devil, but they were cryptids. I mean, they weren't human. They weren't an animal. They were this weird thing between. And that seems to be kind of one of the things. Or it's something like, uh, like, like Ogopogo is one of those lake monsters. Yeah. And like Nessie. The Loch Ness Monster. I mean, they're there. Or if you're uh, on the East Coast near uh, in in Maryland or Chessie, who is the Chesapeake Bay version of it. Yep. I am not kidding. Yeah. Well, and there, see, that kind of lake creature that looks like a plesiosaurus is just one of the probably most common types of, of, of cryptids and creatures. And if you're noticing some of what we're talking about matches up with some of the monsters in some of those traditional fantasy game bestiaries you'd be right yeah mm-hmm. we, you already use cryptids in most of your games yeah. oh god yeah i'd say because i mean how many of us have not had a giant snake attack a fantasy gaming party <laughs> yeah yeah how many yeah. times has a giant spider either with magic or without magic yeah attempt to coerce you into exactly yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and of course, you know, if you've ever had to actually play a game with me in a fantasy setting, odds are I probably used a Mongolian deathworm. Oh, they're yeah. so fun. The, and here's some of the other things, though. If you take a look at a lot of these, the, the cryptids, they're, you know, from the jackalope to the Jersey Devil, bunyips, they're actually a part of the, uh, the land, the people, and the culture, usually to explain... God, who knows, um, you know, like natural phenomenon or really horrible, horrible things or to, you know, to or to lay blame on a a series of horrible, horrible things that kind of like grew and mixed and God knows who else, you know? Yeah. So it's it. So like when you talk about, you know, um, you know, it's like the, the Jersey Devil. It's very, very much a part of. You know, like the southern New Jersey kind of folklore, you yeah. know, and it grew up because of what happened and was going around. So it actually it's kind of interesting what you would learn about, you know, you know, where it come from and then how it morphed over time, which is actually kind of cool. But if you want to take those things, though, like something like that and bring that into your game. Well, first, you need to answer question number one. Yes. Are they going to be real in your world? Or are they going to be a part of like a myth or a legend, right? Yeah, or a hoax. Or a hoax. I was just going to say, or it's Even just better. somebody that's just running around with what looks like a giant plaster foot embedding into the ground. I mean, it's there very could be easy an entire group of people doing that. Yeah. But yeah, that's your first question. And if it's if they are real or not, 
or if some of them are real and some of them aren't, that says a lot about the world you're playing in and the stories that you may be wanting to tell. If they aren't real and you're dealing with a hoax or something like that, you've got the chance to talk and tell stories for these characters about you know mass hysteria about manipulating groups of people. Maybe the media is playing into it and you want to tell a story critical of media coverage of certain things. This gives you the opportunity to kind of shape that story. Conversely, if they're real... Mm -hmm. You actually have another couple of questions at that point. Yeah, then you get to question two, which is... like, Are they indigenous? Are they imported? Are they naturally occurring? Are they manufactured? Manufactured. Because if they're natural, it says something about your world. If they're manufactured, who did it and why? Now, and if they're and if they're in, if they're if, here's a cool thing you can actually treat like cryptids almost as an invasive species. Like oh, they're they're natural over there, but um, over in like this part of the world, it's like they've never seen anything like them, and they become almost like an invasive species kind of a thing. I'm, or they could be an extra planar thing that's forcing its way. It's like okay. I've been rolling the question in my head, and I'm like, it comes down to, are you running Scooby-Doo the TV series or <laughs> Scooby-Doo the movies? <laughs> like, that, that yeah. just keeps playing in my head. I'm like, okay, that really does kind of inform what type of setting you're doing. Well, is it the first movie or the second movie? I'm talking about the cartoon movies. And the cartoon movies are, like, all real. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of boring. But still. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we are not going to bring up Scrappy. In the meantime. <laughs> no one talks of that. In the no. meantime, when you look at you know, where they come from, is it urban fantasy? Which is you know the default thought, a modern game. So are you now, question three, trying to expose the existence of cryptids? Or are you trying to protect the cryptids from being discovered and then potentially wiped out because mankind has a habit of what they don't understand. They kill. Well, I whether, yeah. say whether, yeah, that's a, why you want to prevent them from being discovered or, or found out another whole set of questions, but that's actually something that you've got to think about. Are you there to find them and expose them or are you there to find them and protect them? Yeah. And here's the thing, it's like, and with cryptids, you know, it's like, they could be, depending on that, or the other thing is like, this, and this could be another interesting idea, a lack of a better word, um, a a primitive uh, cryptid, God, I can't speak tonight, cryptid kind of like society that, you know, is like, okay, is this going to be antagonistic to the world, to the adventure? You know, and depending on the actions, you know, it could they could say, like, oh, we can live in harmony with the. You well, know. you know, when when I started thinking about that, actually, what one thing that came to mind was now. Most of us have probably seen Harry and the Hendersons. I love that. Oh, but if you think about it, like there's always the the thing of, you know, Bigfoot's out to hurt people. He's. You know, he's a monster, blah, blah, blah. When in actuality, he's just like this really calm, quiet, you know, non-aggressive primate Mm -hmm. 
But Heck, we also we that also might be had why you're in, protecting him. And as opposed actually was to something wanting. like that too. In um, oh, it, it was Red Dead Redemption in the DLC. Mm-hmm. And you know, so it, it's the same kind of thing. Then you, it, it not going to spoil anything, but it's the uh, you know, you hear all these horrible rumors, you know, and you're like, ah, so it's 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 pretty interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, there are options. And the, the other, yeah, for other how thing you, you might want to think of it. intelligence levels, and I'm not talking just like, you know, human level intelligence or something like that. Here's something interesting: if you want to create your own cryptid or figure it out, there's different types of intelligence. You have like distributed intelligence, like kind of like what squid and octopus have, where each like part of them has like you know, like almost like a full neural system or like a networked intelligence. Like if you think like, like a colony of ants, or if you maybe had like a colony of cryptids that function kind of like that, you know, might be rather than just like, you know, dog, like it, it has like the intelligence of a dog or intelligence of like a, of like an orangutan or something like that. It might be interested also if you want to add a little flavor to play with the um, intelligence type. Sure. Usually because it'll, depending on what it is, if you want to, like I said, uh, bring your players a little bit of the weird, even since it's a freaking cryptid. Why not? You know, let's see if like if it's dealing with a, a distributed intelligence and it's you know it's kind of alien. You're not trying to you're trying to figure out. Okay, how do I communicate? Yeah, or can you? And here's something to remember: if you're thinking about whether to use cryptids or not. The fact that they're mysterious, the fact that the answer may be we don't know where they're coming from yet, we don't know what they are, gives you a lot of flexibility and ability to work them in. One of the most famous and and seminal shows of the 90s used cryptids, but not exclusively. The X-Files. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Think about that. They worked those in and out for different reasons. Sometimes they played into a larger meta plot, sometimes they didn't, but... You've got the ability to use them and add mystery or add, if you're like me, layers of world-building depth and complexity <laughs> and enjoy your, your dogmen and your boggy creek monsters. Enjoy your Macaulay Mbenes. Enjoy all of these different things that maybe let the characters see the world as a little more wondrous and, and maybe the players too. Yeah. Yeah. Because – you know, it is – it's a really fun thing to do. Now, if you play, like, first edition Pathfinder, it's actually kind of interesting because a lot of these cryptids are monsters in the game already. They even have yeah. things like Mothman in the game. And, I mean – all you have to do is look at, you know, there's a Sasquatch, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. There's, I know that they put a Chupacabra in there. Now, does it look anything like what the reports of it are? No. But it's in there. And they don't have a Jersey Devil. They've got something similar, though. And, I mean, there's all these really cool things that you can do to make that game you know to make a game where yeah they could be real or maybe they're not real and this is just something a way that you can play with that 
is, yeah, sure, they're in the book, but you don't use them that way. That's something else to think about, is just because the game has them doesn't mean you have to use them. Well, that's one thing to remember with uh, things like D&D or things like that that have a monstrous menu is that the majority of people, NPCs in that setting, they don't have that book. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. that list does not exist in the setting. So they don't know the mysteries of what these creatures are. Yeah. Sure, you as a DM know what the stat blocks are. You know what the creature looks like. But your average nobleman m- might not. Your average farmer whose livestock keeps disappearing may not know what creature you've pulled out. Yeah. And playing that up so that way the it might be something that your players have killed a thousand times in other games. But you can play but, it up. You yeah, know, if you can play and, it up and really make yeah. it creepy, mm-hmm. you know, it adds that layer of mystery to it. And it then becomes potentially a more memorable experience for everyone. And not mm-hmm. to mention, if you... Yeah. If you include, and just kind of a suggestion to our game masters out there, you know, if you have the players come along and they are able to deal with this creepy monster thing that is normal to them, but not normal to the villagers, remember that the player characters become cryptics as well to these NPCs. Exactly. Yeah. And FYI, guys, here's something else. Don't be afraid. I'm going to, I'm Deadlands. Their 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 critter book. Almost all of it you could could be considered cryptids. There ain't nothing saying you can take you can't take something from there, and bring it into another game. So oh, if you yeah. got the monster manual, hell, bring it. You know, bring them as native species on another planet. Mm-hmm. There's so much you can do with them. So you don't have to treat every cryptid as, you know, but you would normally see in something like the X Files. Yeah. So, a lot of fun you can have with it. Yep. Well, I think I think this kind of gives us a nice wrap for cryptids and how you can use them all in your game. Mm-hmm. And there will be a link to the Wikipedia file that has a bunch of a bunch more that we didn't even touch. And it breaks them down by like country, what type they are, kind of, you know a general appearance sort of thing. So if you're not familiar with them, go check that out because it's a great resource for, for use in mm-hmm. games. Yeah, Cause if we talked about all of them, we'd be here all night. And yeah. if you guys, and we wouldn't even touch cool, it all. <laughs> if you guys come up with something cool or ideas or find one that's really fascinating, share it with us in, in the, on Twitter, on discord, on Facebook, let us know. And let us know how you'd want to use them because you might have come up with something we none of us would have thought of. And yeah. we think, and let's just say, cool ideas should not be kept in a corner. Shine those things. Yes. Yep. Well, let's go ahead and roll on into our stat blocks then. And now we enter stat blocks. This is a segment where you can use something that we've created in your game tonight. Zen, go. Ah, god damn it. Ah. Okay. 
You go out to check your strawberry patch, since when you checked it yesterday, it was almost time. You turn the corner of the house, and your patch looks like it's been trampled by a horse. The problem there is that you don't have a horse, and none of your neighbors do either. Um, As you get up to the patch, you see that all of the ripe berries are gone, eaten down to the stem. You're not sure how or who would eat them down that far. People don't, that's for, that's for sure. No animal you've heard of does either. It's still really early in the morning. Then you see in the soft dirt a human-sized paw print that looks like a cat. If only you had known one was in the area, you never would have grown strawberries. Now, if you want to keep the bad things from happening, you're going to have to grow them again and again and again, and this time more than before. Those few that have seen one have been amazed at how cute they are. About four feet tall. They look similar to a cat, if a cat were bipedal. The coloring of the fur is usually black, with a spot of white near the tip of the nose. Though some say they're calico, the front, front paws are close to hands, but bigger. They're, they're not right for their size. And the face, instead of a cat's mouth, it has what's much closer to a human-looking mouth with teeth like we have. And you can tell when one is near because all the cats in the area will disappear only to return once the juba has moved on to the next big strawberry patch. Nice. Well done, sir. (laughs) Adorable cryptic. Yeah, it's based off of my daughter. (laughs) Uh, Adorable cryptic. She eats eats strawberries like they're going out of style. (laughs) And if I'm not mistaken, enjoys cat costumes. Yes, (laughs) <laughs> I mean, for the longest time, I mean, this is not a joke, but for the longest time, she used to act like a cat. And it, what's funny is, is that we realized that there was a point where we really had to worry about her and, and socialization because there was a point where she, like, at the time, all we had were dogs. They, all the dogs jump up, they're barking at the window, and she jumps up next to the dogs and is barking at me. So she's developed a very astute affinity for animals. <laughs> well, I'm just of this cryptic as like a where the wild things are sketch. Yeah. So I, I have I have officially incorporated my daughter as a is a weird cryptid. <laughs> All right. So no go. All right. So. <clears throat> At the dawn of the year, hungry for one to hunt the young to stray, bound by white in a face you know it stalks. It knows the dead, there lies their loves. The talker, taker speaks, the world obeys. It trails between wood and field it seeks. Run, you tribe, or run, you'll die. Give what it asks, your life you'll keep. So I actually wrote this after I tried to write a shorter piece, and I accidentally wrote a longer piece of flash fiction. 
<laughs> so rather than taking up half the episode reading that, uh, it'll be on the site, yeah, folks. There'll be a link in the doobly-doo to its own special doobly-doo. <laughs> yes. You'll get to see what the taker is. Nice. Slick. Mm, mm, ah, yes. A, a slim bedazzled case slips onto the counter. It's definitely going to be one of those sorts of nights. Ever since you were hired by Tachyon Developments and given the tablet so expertly sheathed in what can charitably be described as the leftovers of the 80s, uh, life has gotten stranger by the minute. I mean, the pay is good. It lets you cover the cost of both rent and this condo to be closer to work downtown. It's just a lot they ask you to do. You crack open a cold bottle of water and wonder whether you should see a doctor. The world seems a bit brighter. The colors don't seem quite in focus. What you wouldn't do for a couple of days off to rest and recover. But it's okay. When you're busy and doing the work, it, it, everything's fine, but it sometimes seems to be nothing more than a glorified gopher. Highly paid, but gopher nonetheless. If this is it, well, it isn't too bad. Tomorrow will be another day and another paycheck, right? Something, though, seems strange when you wake up. The alarm on your cell phone hasn't gone off. Birds are actually chirping. No, wait, your cell phone isn't showing any service? And something hits the door of the condo, you almost jump out of bed. You pull back the door to see a newspaper. But you don't remember ever subscribing to a newspaper. Maybe it's just part of the condo board's amenities. Uh, may as well see what it – What it, it, April 17th, 1983. The, the date. The date is April 17th, 1983, and you're stuck here. Uh, that oh. is nice. That nice. is nice. Works electronic tether. I, I, I had a feeling when, when you said it's a tech end development. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, the whole, wait your time goes backwards. <laughs> I, there was going to be something there. It's like I, I got rid of the original name that was even worse because it was Time Flies. Because if you've been listening closely, you have heard a lot of. Musical jokes in that write-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that means we have come to the and last, but likely the best. I've got to follow, I've got to follow Gardemanger. I'm screwed. Nah, you're fine. You got this. <laughs> All right. Come away, O oh human child, to the waters and the wild, with the fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. The Stolen Child by W.B. Yeats. The world is rather grim, isn't it? It's such a dark and dreary place. Filled with hate and violence, corruption and lies, sickness and death. Hope is such an oddity in this day and age. As, it's as is its companion optimism. They're so rare that their very existence is viewed with skepticism on a good day. Out outright hostility on an ordinary day and on the darkest of days it is seen as something to be outright annihilated so why does hope exist why does optimism still doggedly refuse to disappear and even more of an enigma how do both still seem to pop up in the strangest of places places of disaster illness and strife it seems that 
This type of world was anticipated long ago. The fair folk, the dreamwalkers, guardian angels, totems, and spirit animals. They all knew the darkness that mankind could propagate, but they also saw the potential mankind had for great acts of selflessness and compassion. So they all worked together to create a kind of emotional morphogenetic field of sorts. Based in the dream time, Arcadia, heaven, and the hunting ground. Crisscrossing all realms of fancy, both light and dark. This network connects to the human world in the one place where the hearts of men are laid bare. Where those who truly lost all hope but dream of a better place would resonate with the dreams of those who still had some will to fight. Where primal screams of defiance and glory were stir the hearts of tired souls. Where those who are about to surrender to the darkness stop and hesitate. The field reacts to the strongest with hearts and minds of young. You see, children can often see what is really and truly there. The other worlds. They see the threads of the field. And with a heart without fear and doubt, they grasp it with them. And the last vestiges of the unseen shepherd of the unseen shepherd these children as best they can. They keep them safe as they explore the world and the experiences of others, protecting them from the ravages of hopelessness and complacency. Children that go through this experience with their heart, mind, and soul intact become lightning rods for the energy for the energy of these fields. Humankind's uncovered. Conscious wish for something better made manifest. These children become the jolt that rouses humanity from its apathy. They influence others around them in so many varied ways. From the grade schoolers simply standing up to a bully who is terrorizing that weirdo classmate, to teens and young adults writing anthems of rebellion and righteous fury to stir hearts and minds, to the rare elder who offers counsel of and comfort and warnings gained from decades of experience. Unfortunately, as we all know, the stronger the light, the deeper the shadows. And these children do shine so, so bright. The darkness is both empowered and weakened by their existence. The shadows are less in number, but so, so much sharper. And the dark is patient, waiting till victory is assured before they strike. But the light never completely fades. It becomes part of the field as stories, as songs, and as memories, inspiring the next generation to raise a fist in defiance and not go gently or quietly. I bring to you the Defiant Lightbringers. Nice. Very cool. Thank you. That was, yes, very well done. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's between you and me, Gardner Manger. It's like yours are always just so just really cool. I'm like I can't follow him. No guy, no. <laughs> ah, you're fine. Yours are better than mine most of the time. Trust me. Mm, I guess it's it's no. It, let's just put it this way. It's like you know when you're writing it, you're like ah, it's kind of crap, and you know I'm reading someone else's finished thing, and I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> so. Now that we got uh, the the cool stories and ideas out of the way, how are we going to speech good now? <laughs> speech good. All right. Yeah. Well, let's find out. Lexicon, where we give you cool words to help improve your vocabulary. Okay. So, this word is lupine. I know this one. I know I think this we one. all do. Oh, you any, any this of is, No, no, no. This is absolutely about that, that famous French thief. 
Yes. <laughs> no, because it's got the E on the end, it's about pickled beans that are used as snacks in bars. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> were they famous I, as thieves? I'm actually serious about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there are actually two definitions that we will be talking about today for lupine. Definition number one is a noun. And it is any of a genus, lupinus, of... Um, leguminous herbs, including some poisonous forms and others cultivated for their long, showy racemes of usually blue, purple, white, or yellow flowers, or for green manure, fodder, or their edible seeds. Their edible seeds are a Roman specialty, and they are often pickled in brine and served in, in across the Mediterranean. And our second is an adjective, and it means wolfish. <laughs> now, while these are both very different versions of, of the same word, the the first known uses of these as a noun is actually from the 14th century and the adjective version is actually from 1660 so while they are old they're not that old now the the history and at well technically the etymology of the noun is middle English from Anglo-French, which is from Latin, which is, uh, lupinus lupinum from lupinus. And the adjective is Latin from lupinus or the lupus wolf. So, that, I, I didn't look up the, uh, the look up. How, how, how much it's used? Yeah. Yeah. Because. You're slacking. I know. It, it's been, we're, we're getting back into the swing of things. So this one doesn't have it. And Merriam-Webster, where I get most of these, has been moving around things on their website. So I have to find it again. So. But I think that's going to go ahead and wrap us up. Let's go ahead and give uh, those uh, closing remarks. No, go. All right. Well, I caught the entire first season of the show Infinity Train on Cartoon Network. It's this they've been advertised. Well, they advertised it a couple months ago. I think for the summer or late fall. It's this fun little short series they have of. Well, I'll describe it. It's basically this episodic series about a train that's each cart is sort of this other dimension thing, these little pocket realities. And it's this wonderful little hero's journey of the character uh, Tulip as she kind of goes through these whimsical, fun little adventures into these really creepy otherworldly monster things that seem to be running the train. Huh. 
it's a lot of fun. It's one of those things where it's very Hoovian in that there's very little necessary direct physical confrontation coming from the main characters. The creatures and whatnot that are on the train, they can be violent. They can be hostile. But Tulip and her gang are more about the thinking, the talking, or the running to get out of trouble. Like I said, very Hoovian. <laughs> Less lonely God, though. But okay. it's a lot of fun. It's relatively short. They did come out with the second series, or the second series is coming out. I'm not sure on that part, but it's worth checking out. It's relatively short. You know, it's fun. Cool. That is very cool. Mm-hmm. Who's up next? Jules. All right. I'm bringing up uh, the October Pond. It's a uh, it's my friend's kind of uh, podcast on best way to describe it, it's weird creepy show on YouTube. It's a collection of creepy stories about things that kind of feel tangentially possible. You know, it's he actually is able to make like some of the stuff you find on like No Sleep on on the Reddit uh, No Sleep, but he turns it into a, a a little YouTube thing, and it's actually pretty. It was actually pretty interesting. It's like stories of the creepy, you know, told by somebody's like, oh, my gosh, why did I play that videotape or to listen to that cassette? And they kind of have like a like an 80s. Some of them have a really interesting 80s, 90s bent to them. Or some of them are kind of like, oh, this is a legend passed down. And it's, you know, or it's a lot of fun. And it's rather than just doing it as a you know simple podcast, he actually works into making it into a YouTube show. So, you know, it's. Yeah, if you like horror, and it's, I like it. It's different than just, you know, reading the no sleep or just hearing it. So, go and enjoy. I mean, and if you like it, subscribe to the channel. Yeah, they have been um, very nice and trying to promote our Twitter account. <laughs> very nice. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, the guy that creates it is a, is a really good dude, and, you know, he's... Not as much into into gaming, but he enjoys, you know, the stat blocks and some of the creepy stuff we come up with. And, you know, a lot of the interesting stuff is also like some of the zeitgeist when we were talking about horror, where we were talking about creepy myths and legends and stuff. You know, he, he realizes, well, that might not be everyone's bag, but it's it kind of also has a crossover. So he was thinking people he liked that like his stuff, but like ours as well. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I guess that leaves me for closing remarks. Yeah. No, okay. Dan hasn't got gone yet. I haven't, but that's okay. You can go. Yeah, I guess I'll go. Uh, since we were doing cryptids, I wanted to go ahead and, if you can get your hands on it, recommend that you check out the Secret Saturdays cartoon. A short-lived cartoon, two or three years, maybe 30 episodes, but it was intensely fun on Cartoon Network about a decade ago. And it was drawn in a style similar of the old 70s Hanna-Barbera cartoons about a family of cryptozoologists and cryptids who were trying to protect the cryptids from being uh, found out, uh, shared with the world, and exploited by V.V. Argos. Loads of fun, fantastic, perfectly fits in with our theme here. And with that, I will let Zen take us home. Okay. Mine is the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. This show is so good. 
It's on Netflix. Um, it feels like the prequel that we wanted and that we've waited for for so many long, long years. The fact that it's designed by the son of the Frouds and Henson's daughter, they grew up with the original. And they grew up on the set of the original. So they brought all of that in to make... That's why it feels so much like the original. And there's almost no CG anywhere in the whole entire thing. Most of the CG is in the backgrounds. Everything else is practical or Muppet, like puppets. Oh yeah, it is. It is amazing. I, I it is good, but it is definitely like there is some scary stuff in it at times. It's the dark crystal. Oh. <laughs> right, right. But I'm just saying, if like, like not, it's... if you're not familiar, even though it has puppets, it does actually get dark and it plays with big and important and deep themes. And depending on your preferences, though, for me, it took a couple of episodes to really get into it. Yeah, but then again. I want the big world building, and that's a whole other conversation, <laughs> especially about a show that has been on Apple Plus recently that is also worthy of discussion. Yeah. So uh, that is that is it. Um, next, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a little tease here, but the next regular show is actually going to be an interview and review. Hopefully by now you realize that we're going to try to do more of those this year. We are, in fact. You're going to hear our critical thoughts. You're going to hear us fawn and say good things about people and point out a lot of times where things maybe don't hit the mark. And there are a lot of shows out there. We thank you for listening to Seize the GM and want to know what you would like to hear from us. And the best way to find that out, find us. Find us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook with the page or the group. Apparently, there is still the Tumblr, even though I do not use it. There is also the Discord channel. You can also give us a few dollars on Patreon or pop over and find any of us individually on the Twitters and the Facebooks or the Instagrams and let us know. What do you want to hear from us? More tips on designing a world? More inspirations? Reviews? Interviews? How can we enrich your gaming experience? Mm-hmm. So... Until next time, folks. Happy New Year. You're going in you're going into you're going into this year with two critical successes, so roll with advantage. <laughs> I do like that joke. I saw it, I love it. I'm gonna keep using it. All right. So until next time, folks. Roll some dice. Have fun. Have fun. I'm still on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see y'all next time. Next time it is. Bye. You can contact us or the show using Twitter, Facebook, or plain old email. Our Twitter accounts are at Zendead, at Jules Podcaster, and at 2050 Garde Manger. 
And the show's Twitter account is at SeizeTheGM. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash SeizeTheGM. Or chat with us and other RPG lovers in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash seize the GM. You can email questions or comments to the show at admin at seize the GM.com. And if you have a few bills you want to send us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash seize the GM podcast. And we thank you. joining us for this episode of Seize the GM. Feel free to leave a comment about this episode on our webpage www.seizethegm.com Let the dice fall where they may, and we'll see you all again next week. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted materials referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended, and no claim of ownership is implied. The music for the show is Dreaming Spirit off the album Ghost Machine by the Enigma TNG. His music is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license.